My name's Kate, and I'm happy to be here. And you're listening to the podcast. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here, and you're listening to the podcast. Happy to be here. Hi guys. Hello. My name's Kate, and I'm happy to be here. And you're listening to the podcast. Happy to be here. How are we doing? How are we feeling? Feeling okay? Feeling not so okay? Um, Whether you're feeling okay or not okay, we will do our usual uh, deep breath here. We're going to do a four intake. We're going to hold and then do a four out. So we'll do four breaths in now. So and then we'll exhale. Well, I'm very happy that you guys are here today. Um, It is January. It is very warm where I'm at right now. So that's kind of nice, like 50s. So hopefully, you know, we keep it going. It's a very big wish, but I'm hoping no more snow. But (laughs) it is January, so you never know. Um, But yeah, in terms of new things, I have a wonderful new guest on here with me today. Her name is Laura. She's an activist, coach, and founder of Public Love ED. So an online school for change makers. Um, Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm excited you're here too. So what's new? What's going on with you? Uh, I have just moved to Canada like a week ago. So very much adjusting to the winter. I'm Australian, if you can hear my accent. So it's a little bit of a transition, but so far, so good. Oh, good. Yeah. How do you like Canada so far? I like it. You know, it's it's a little there's there's little differences, you know, like the tax not in the price and uh it's it's very unusual in Australia. Everything's just included in like one figure. But other than that, it's awesome. It's just yeah. cold. It is cold in Canada for sure. Um I've never been out there myself, but it can also get very cold here in uh the United States as well. So there's just I just wish there was no more cold, but who knows? <laughs> You know, that would be nice. I'm actually heading off to Mexico in a couple of days because, you know, like I, I had to come here at this time of year, but this is this is not my kind of weather. So I'm yeah. following the sun and then returning, you know, as the as if the frost starts to thaw. <laughs> we love to see. We love to see that. Um, good for you. You know, getting out, getting some sun. Love to see it. So as I kind of mentioned, you are the founder of Public Love Enterprises. And according to your website, it's a a liberatory space and online school, and you can find programs on healing burnout culture, regenerative leadership, um, and uh, the inner work of dismantling capitalism and supremacy culture. So I just was curious, why encourage you to create this kind of uh, school and online program? Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. So, you know, my my work is really born out of a couple of passions of mine. You know, really my interest in how do we create a better life and a better world. So I grew up in the coaching and personal development world. You know, my mother was a coach. She had one of the first uh, life coach training schools in Australia. And so it was something that, you know, from my earliest memories, I was listening to, you know, Neil Donald Walsh or Tony Robbins or Dennis Waitley. And these incredible thinkers and speakers that really taught me to cultivate this love for my inner world. You know, they taught me this power of agency and choice, and it really shaped who I am. But I also found, you know, as I got older and started to develop myself, that this world sometimes lacked uh, a systemic awareness. You know, it focused very much on the individual and it missed looking at the systems that we live in and how they play out. 
It also had a lot of focus on how we live the best life for ourselves, but little interaction or understanding of how that actually intersected with the world. So as I became an activist, you know, particularly in climate activism, uh, you know, I was so excited. I, I was so passionate about them. Great, you know, we could take this and we could, you know, really remake the world. We can step into these new possibilities. But I started to see the problems there that sometimes we weren't looking at the root causes of the issues that we were facing. You know, we weren't looking at the mindset in the human psyche that has created this, mm-hmm. at the conditions that we need to change in order to create a new world. And so out of these kind of two loves of change, the inner world and the outer world of activism, I decided to create a school and bridge the two to really look at what is it within us that needs to change to create a more beautiful life and world. Uh, what are the conditions for collective thriving, for social healing? And how do we start to dismantle these systems, not just out there in our policies, not just in the world, but also within us, within our psyches, within our minds and within our bodies? Yeah, that's so awesome. Like, that's so cool. Uh, I, I think, too, like you make a really good point. I think a lot of life coaching is just kind of like focused on the in- individual or as you call it, like the inner world. And so it's really cool that you're merging these two together, because that's I think how we are going to make change in the world is if we're doing it in ourselves and out in the world. So that's really awesome. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, change is it, it's not in either or, you know, I think what we change and what we work on inside ourselves really affects the world. It changes how we show up. And at the same time, also changing the structural reality, changing the world that we live in also changes our relationship to ourselves. It changes our thoughts about what we can be, do and have. So I, I like that space to play in because there is so much influence between the two. Yeah. Yeah, I agree too. I think as you learn more about, you know, systems of oppression and just like these other ideas that I had, I'd never heard of the patriarchy until I got to college. Um, And so it was just interesting, like learning these things. And then you start to like, you're learning these big concepts and like examples and whatnot. And then you start to look at your own self and you're like, oh, this is how it's affected me. And then I think you change things going forward or you're just more aware of it too. So yeah absolutely you know again like these weren't concepts that i grew up with you know i didn't grow up knowing what the patriarchy was either it wasn't or capitalism these weren't terms thrown around my household or anything and so it was it was my journey into into activism and that entry point through climate in particular that was like oh there is so much that needs to change there is so much that needs to happen and then it was really just that background that started me kind of thinking about things in a different way Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, So speaking of kind of activism, I feel like it's really common to experience burnout, especially like when you're changing these really big systems. And, you know, one of your uh, uh, things that you talk about in your school is burnout culture. Um, So I was wondering, what are the characteristics of burnout culture and how does that also relate to capitalism? Yeah. So when I was actually creating this school and we're just over a year old now. So we're still very new. Um, it was actually really born out of uh, seeing the amount of burnout that existed in nonprofit spaces, in frontline activism, in social enterprises. Uh, I mean, burnout is everywhere now, right? It's not just activism, it's across the world, but it's particularly prevalent there. And that to me was like so tragic because 
we would lose so many amazing activists or people who cared about making a difference within within a year of joining movements. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just the the rate of exhaustion was so fast. And so it got me thinking about, well, why is this the case? And there are both individual and collective causes of burnout. You know, it's not, again, not an either or, there's always this gray and space, but there's certainly a few collective ones that are quite common. And when we're looking at burnout culture, I would kind of define it as, you know, one, the glorification of overwork, you know, this real, I just keep going, just push a little bit more. Let's just, you know, oh yeah, I can jump on that Zoom call. I can be there. I can facilitate this this weekend. No, like I can print that. It's fine. Like this, all of this overwork, this constant giving. So there's a slight martyrdom there that we kind of were like, yeah, like that's kind of what it means, right? I would also say that it is uh, looking at the emotional resourcing and assuming that everybody has the same emotional resourcing at the same time. Mm. And we don't. And that's part of burnout culture. We assume that everybody's on the same level as us uh, and that their capacity doesn't change. And that's not true. We're all on different levels and it's all fluctuating all of the time. Mm-hmm. I think burnout culture is also deeply linked to the stories we tell as a, as a movement or as a group or as an organization around stories of struggle, lack, scarcity. You know, there's not enough people to do the work. There's not enough money. There's not enough going on. And all of that leads to this experience of burnout. And I think the last thing that's really part of burnout culture, if I were to kind of uh, list the points, I think it's also seeing our value as what we do and what we produce and not who we are and how we are to each other. You know, it's this emphasis on our output as more important than our relationships, more important than the embodiment of our virtues. And that fundamentally is what really leads to the overwork. It's what leads to the assumptions about our resourcing and into that kind of culture that we all end up in where it's like, my God, we're all so stressed. We're all so tired. What are we doing? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, those are all really great points. I think it's, especially that last one too, really resonates with me. I feel like everything we do, especially in capitalism, like has to be like, a product and it is directly related to us and like who we are, you know, like if we, if you don't get like an A on that paper, that scene is like looking bad on you. And you're going to think like, oh, like I'm not smart versus like, no, like you are maybe like, you know, like you said, maybe you were just doing with other things. Maybe your emotional resourcing was lower. You never know. Um, Yeah. It's really, I think it's just, it gets lost like ourselves in this burnout culture. Well, and this is the funny thing, right? You know, we're a lot of us. So in activist spaces and left wing activist spaces, a lot of us also are trying to disrupt capitalism. And yet we're trying to disrupt capitalism using the exact same energy that capitalism demands of us. You know, that is working harder, working more, working faster. Yeah. And we can't do that. We can't change the world using the exact same energy that it already is asking of us. You know, we need to fundamentally change it from within first. Mm. So I use this term uh, internalized capitalism a lot, you know, and internalized capitalism is really just the equation of our worth with our productivity or our worth with what we produce with what we do. And, you know, it shows up in so many different ways. Uh, It could be feeling guilty when we take time off. You know, the sense that we always need to be doing just that little bit extra. So, you know, we're scrolling on our phone, we're cooking dinner. I'm like listening to a podcast at the same time. You know, all of these things are happening all at once. The uh, feeling uh, that sense of time scarcity, 
you know, I'm particularly prone to this sense that there's just never enough time. Mm-hmm. And you hear it in our language all the time, like happy Friday, th- you know, thank God it's Friday or like, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good, but you know, it was too short, you mm-hmm. know, like all of these things are in, in workshops or in meetings, like, oh, it's okay. We've got a lot to fit in today. We're just going to like power through. We're just going to like fit a lot in. And so all of these are examples of internalized capitalism. And this is something that exists across the board. Mm-hmm. It exists in me. It probably exists in you. I'd say it exists in every single one of us. But then when we come together collectively and we haven't challenged that and we haven't acknowledged that and we haven't seen that, then we mimic it and we just recreate it in how we work together. That's really interesting. I I think, too, what you said about we are doing the same things that capitalism is doing in activism, like we're burning ourselves out. And I, I think about the quote from Audre Lorde, like the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house. And I feel like we do, like you said, we do have to change how we work sometimes because it is a lot to, I mean, take on this task of, you know, dismantling these huge systems that have been around for like so long. Um, and it can, I feel like it, it can be draining, but, you know, it's good to have these conversations and to be involved in workshops and to kind of reach out to other activists too, to support each other. So. Yeah, I, I love that quote. You know, we cannot dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. That is fundamentally what this is about. You know, if we want to change a system out there, we need to look at the ways that that system, that system exists within us, through us, as us, and really start to kind of untie ourselves bit by bit, day by day, with each step that it takes from the energy that it has. And it's only as we do that that we can start to have something new emerge within us and between us. Yeah. So speaking of, um, what would be a good tool or how can we prevent burnout maybe in ourselves? I like this. You know, there's so many, there's so many layers to this question of how can we prevent burnout? And I think everybody is a little bit different, but fundamentally, I think one of the first things that we can start to consider is really reconnecting to our physical body. You know, we live in a world that is very kind of head-based, very neck up and A lot of our decisions are based on our thoughts. They're based on our shoulds. You know, I should do this because, you know, that's what a good daughter does or a good partner does or a good activist does. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I should do this because of X, Y, or Z. But a lot of those shoulds, they burn us out. They're not based in our actual capacity. They're not based in a genuine resourcing. They're not based in our actual desire. They're always based in somebody else's assumption of us. And so coming back to the body is really about finding a new compass. You know, when we're living our compass as other people's expectations or culture's expectations, that's not a healthy compass. So our new compass is the body. And the body is really about listening to uh, its guidance with whether it feels light, whether it feels heavy, whether it has energy, whether it doesn't. And to give you an example, it wasn't too long ago that I had some friends who were starting a new climate movement. Mm-hmm. and. I hadn't been involved in anything for a while. They'd asked for some help leafleting. And I was like, yeah, sure. I can like go drop around some flyers, like, you know, on an evening walk, no problems. But then before long, I realized it wasn't just, you know, going for a walk of an evening. It was actually this like whole thing with like four hour shifts and a buddy system. And like, you had to turn up at a particular place in time. And I was just like, oh, like, oh, hell no. This is not what I signed up for. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, my mind was going, oh, but you should do this. You said you would. 
you know, you, you said you would, didn't, you want to be a good friend, right? You care about this, just help them out. I can move that appointment. I can like work a bit late that other night, but my body felt heavy. It felt closed. My shoulders felt like weighed down. I felt like, you know, the weight of the world on our shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided to listen to that. And I actually said respectfully, I'm so sorry. I don't have capacity for this right now. It's not what I thought it was. I'm happy to also to share this with some other friends who might have the time and capacity, but I can't help right now. Yeah. And immediately as I was doing that, I felt light. You know, my, my, my shoulders kind of sunk down again. They felt easier. You know, my body felt expansive. Yeah. And so following the wisdom of my body in that situation, was the right call. That was my way to prevent burnout. Because if I had listened to my should, I should help them because I said I would, then I would have just been fulfilling that same pattern of overextending myself beyond my capacity. So that's what I recommend for anybody. When you're first looking at it, come back to the body, find that new compass, start to read from there. That's. I think that's a really great piece of advice too, because yeah, I feel like we're always saying like, oh, I should go hang out with this person or, oh, I should like do this. Like, we're never thinking like, are we actually like able to? And I feel like that too kind of reminds me of like almost like FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like, oh, if I don't go to this party, like I'm not gonna like, I'm gonna miss out on these memories and like, that's why I should go. And I don't think we really like sit and we listen to our bodies because we're just like, afraid of maybe missing out on opportunity or maybe we're afraid of like not helping our friends or whatnot so yeah yeah that's a really good point all of those fears all of those shoulds like they're constantly at us we don't even realize that they're there a lot of the time mm -hmm. and as well like learning to listen to our body is a practice like i did not know until i was like i think in my late 20s that like my body actually was feeling all of these things i was just so detached from it for so long that it took me a long time to really start to listen, to notice, you know, the, the very subtle uh, moments in my belly, in my throat, in my shoulders, and to notice the emotions that came with them. So this isn't something that we do overnight. And I think it is definitely something that we need to cultivate, but yeah. it's well worth it. So kind of earlier, we were talking about like how our value um, in, in a capitalist society is based on like what we produced. And I feel like I've noticed this thing over the past like two years with the pandemic um, is how people kind of frame their hobbies of like, how can I make like money off of this or just even little things like, oh, how can like what I do maybe in my free time or something I do for fun, how can I like profit off of this? Um, and granted too, like everyone's got different like uh, financial uh, situations, but I feel like in capitalist culture, we don't really just do things for fun. Like it's kind of viewed of like, oh, I should do this for my resume or I should do this for this. It's never like, oh, like I can just do this because I enjoy it. You know, this is so true. And I, you know, I have, I have kind of two feelings about this. Oh. You know, the first is actually, you know, money is not capitalism. And this is a really important distinction to make. Ooh, okay. Like it, Capitalism is a way that we organize our, our economic systems, but it's not the same thing as money itself. And so, you know, these ideas of actually wanting to earn more money or wanting to have more freedom is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And wanting to have a side hustle is not a bad thing either. I actually think sometimes it can give us a lot more freedom. It can give us opportunity. Um, and I, you know, I do love a good side hustle. <laughs> and 
And I think it's important that you're exactly right. We don't monetize every single hobby that we have. So, you know, I think it, where it's kind of coming from, though, is it makes sense in a culture that is based on scarcity. It makes sense in a culture where there's just never quite enough and you want to kind of get as far ahead as you can so that you don't get pulled back with everybody else. Yeah. And so understanding that, that we live in a culture that doesn't prioritize pleasure, doesn't prioritize joy, doesn't prioritize rest, is actually being able to say, okay, well, then it makes sense that, you know, a hobby is, you know, kind of pointless or frivolous, you know, what's what's the point of it? Yeah. It's, you know, if we, I should monetize it and make something out of it. Mm -hmm. If you want to, wonderful, go for your life. I think it's a great thing. And if you don't, I think it's absolutely important as well. And that's really coming back to this point within ourselves of looking at, well, what actually makes me happy? Mm -hmm. You know, what is a fulfilling life? What is a whole life? And I think a fulfilling and a whole life includes moments of joy, includes moments of pleasure. And those things are rarely monetized. Those things are just coming from doing things for the fun of it. Yeah. And that's challenging that little voice in ourselves, challenging that voice in our friends who will all often tell us like, oh yeah, but you know, you should be doing this, should be doing this. Again, all the shoulds and actually going, no, my body just wants to like knit this thing or like play this game or like paint this painting for the fun of it. I just want to do it because it's expression, because it helps me. And then also recognizing that those things are what move us forward in life. They're what give us new possibilities when we actually have outlets for our emotions. You know, when we're doing something that brings us fun. Fun is so underrated today. I mean, truly, yes. I feel like um, just like in terms of like people just I feel like don't really have hobbies anymore, at least some people. Um, and my friend Lizzie, who recently moved to a new city, I had her on my show recently, she was saying like how important it is to have hobbies because like when you're in a new city or when you're alone, like you're not gonna have stuff to do. And so it's important to like have fun with yourself and do something that you enjoy. And I think like we were talking about earlier, it's really good to do those things because it kind of helps you connect with yourself and your body, you know? Yeah. And you know, hobbies are also what got me through like the pandemic lockdowns as well. And that's also what I noticed with my friends, those of us who had hobbies, things that we could do that we enjoyed. And obviously for some people, those hobbies involve things they could no longer do, which was very challenging, but like it made a big difference to my mental health over that time because I had something I could throw myself into that wasn't just socialization. It wasn't just hanging out with my friends. That's not a hobby. You know, it, it's fun and it's important and it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. but it's not a hobby. Yeah. You know, it was something that wasn't just work. So again, it wasn't something that was always about like creating opportunity for me. It was just, okay, this is my time to write. This is my time to garden. This is my time to do whatever. And it's to like come back to like, yeah, this, this feels good. Yeah. You know, this feels nice. Yeah, I agree. I, I started this podcast during the pandemic. Truly, it's just like an outlet, just like a, a place to have fun and to like meet new people. And um, I ran into this person from my high school and they were asking about my podcast and they were like, and it was funny, kind of like what we were talking about a little bit, a little bit ago. They were like, oh, so like, are you, is this like, you want to do this for like a job? And I was like, oh, like, you know, like, no, like this is literally just my hobby and then they kind of start talking about like so how many like streams do you get and like all these kinds of things and it really started to make me like not feel super great because i'm like you know this is like my podcast is great and i love it but it's also like 
not something I try to put like value on, if that makes sense, like value of myself. Well, yeah, I, exactly. That whole conversation is saying, well, the only value in you doing your podcast is if you're getting X number of listeners. Mm -hmm. It's again, it's that total emphasis on output, on numbers, on instead of actually the quality of the podcast, you know, well, actually, like, yeah, how have you been honing your craft or how much do you enjoy it? Or like, you know, have you had any feedback from listeners? Has it helped someone? Like, there is such a different kind of response there when we're looking at things from a really quantifiable, very capitalistic energy of output of increase of endless growth, and then one of relationship and one of care. So I, I that's a really good example there of the two that is something that we can kind of bring it back to. Yeah, I agree. Um, and speaking of the wonderful, <laughs> the wonderful, terrible part of capitalism is that, um, I mean, it relates to so many different systems, which was crazy too when I learned about it for the first time in college, you don't realize like how it really connects with everything. And like systems like sexism, ableism, racism, like all the isms, I feel like you can kind of relate back to capitalism to some degree. And it's also obviously intertwined with the patriarchy. So I was wondering, a big question here, but how can we kind of detox ourselves from the patriarchy and also capitalism? Mm, I love this question. Yeah, I think, you know, capitalism really, I say, was born out of patriarchy because like it's only been around 500 years or so. It's not actually something that's existed forever. You know, we we had systems of trade, systems of bartering, systems uh, and economic systems before and during and throughout capitalism that aren't it itself. But really, when we're talking about patriarchy, I tend to think that we are talking about a system of domination, a system of force and a system of scarcity. But, you know, really, when we're looking at the system of patriarchy, we're looking at these systems of force, scarcity um, and, and power over a sense of domination. So if we're looking to kind of disrupt it from the inside out, we're looking at what are those systems within me? Where are the parts where I feel uh, that I need to have power over somebody in order to feel good? Where are the parts of me that I have internalized scarcity? And this is a big one because capitalism is founded on scarcity. You cannot have infinite growth on a finite planet without scarcity somewhere in the system. And then we have internalized that scarcity. You cannot have capitalism without scarcity. And we've internalized it not only with time scarcity, but we've internalized it with perfectionism, right? That sense of never good enough, never good enough syndrome. I am never enough. That's another kind of product of patriarchy, right? We lived in a culture where for hundreds and probably thousands of years, women were never quite enough. They were always seen as less than, you know, the, the distance we've kind of traveled externally in the last 50 to 100 years as women with rights to vote and rights to a mortgage and rights to our own money is absolutely incredible. But that often sometimes it's a level on the inside that takes a while to catch up to the outside as well. You know, it's not automatic. So I'm really looking at, you know, where does the scarcity exist within me? The sense that I'm not enough or that I'm too much. Uh, the sense that I don't have enough time. The sense that maybe uh, I'm missing out, FOMO, that it shows up perhaps in my relationship to money as well, that I feel that there's never enough money and I'm always trying to catch up. And I'm going to challenge them. And I'm going to challenge all of those systems with abundance. Now, what does abundance mean to you out of interest to me yeah like a lot of things like and you're able to kind of choose freely like i don't know i'm thinking like 
abundance of apples, I'm thinking like maybe like a hundred apples, like a lot of apples, and I can just kind of have whatever I want. That's what I kind of think of when I think of abundance. I love that. I, I love what you first said, which is like to choose freely, mm. you know, and to choose freely comes not from this idea that we have in abundance that it means like, oh, there's just like so much, there's too much, or there's more than enough. Like it means there's enough, you know, it means safety. It means satiety. It means like, I am safe to have my choices. I can choose freely. I love that one. Mm. And really coming back to that wherever I can in my understanding of myself, in my understanding of the world, and of challenging all of those stories of struggle and lack. And here's the thing, like those experiences are real, they exist in the world. And a lot of the time we make them more real by continuing to tell ourselves that that's our only experience, our only possibility. We miss the ways that we can challenge our perception, that we can challenge our experience, that we can choose something new, mm-hmm. and that we can think outside the box. And the greatest tool that every single one of us has in this time is to think differently, to think outside the box, to think in you. And when we're able to kind of put ourselves into that experience and to go, okay, well, you know, I've always thought that I'm not good enough or that I just, I'm never quite enough or I can never quite catch up. And that's been this story that's driven me for like, you know, decades now. What would it mean if I were to really look at that and say, what if it wasn't true? And I'm not saying it's not, but what if it wasn't? What would be different? What would I do differently? What would be different in the possibilities I would see? What other questions could I ask myself to just kind of dig below the surface a little bit? So this this detoxing detoxing from these systems is really about looking at the stories that they tell. Mm -hmm. And there's all those stories of domination, power, struggle, lack, looking at how they show up in us and then choosing a different story choosing a different value and a different place to live and be and work from. It's very interesting to just like hear that, I guess, because I mean, I feel like that's so true and it's very, it resonates with me a lot because I feel like that's kind of what I've been studying in the past few years in college and in grad school is like how we are able to decenter ourselves from these narratives that we've heard our whole lives and really just like claim ourselves. And I think it's super empowering to to like write our own stories and to just kind of separate ourselves from these systems and it's it's very it's very very difficult as we've been talking about and it's not something that happens overnight for sure but like for instance i'm a lesbian and like realizing for the first time that like i didn't have to like center my life around male validation was like very empowering for me and even still like it's hard for me sometimes to move through the world and like not have that affect me and it's it's you know it's not like hopefully eventually it goes away but you know it's a system that's been around forever so it's it's unfortunately not forever forever but feels like this sometimes you're right not forever but for an incredibly long time and actually i remember that same experience as well like i'm also queer and that first time when i think i was actually probably 30 i think when i really was like oh i I don't need to do everything to, I I suddenly realized how much I did to please men, you know, I'm bisexual. And so I would notice like when I started comparing like my dates with men to my dates with women, like how different I sometimes was, but then it's this idea as well. What am I feeling in that situation where I'm looking for that validation? And usually I'm feeling that I'm not enough in some way that I need to perform, that I need to please, that I need to be better, prettier, 
funnier, smarter on whatever it is, that there's this not enoughness. Mm-hmm. And that not enoughness is sold to us every single day. Like we, we tend to think it's just us, like, or it's some like defect in ourselves. And I don't think it is. Like if you look at the way everything is sold to women from whether it's through diet culture, whether it's just through marketing in general, um, in order to get us to buy shit, it's just it, the subtle message is you're not enough. But if you just just try a little bit harder, if you just buy this next thing, if you just like, you know, uh, make sure that you are a little bit higher on the rung of power here, that you're that you're more powerful than this other person. So, again, this power over, then maybe you can be up here. Maybe you can belong. You can feel enough. But that day never comes and that enoughness never comes when we're trying to work within that story because it's not designed for us. And the entire world really has been designed with stories that did not have us in mind, that did not have our well-being in mind. So starting to challenge these in ourselves, it takes a lot of unraveling. I know diet culture is the big one that I'm working on from a personal point of view at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And like what's crazy about diet culture, too, is like so many things were so so normalized in the 90s. And it would just like it's crazy today. Like how some of that was, and a lot of stuff in the '90s and 2000s was just, it's just oh, the so 2000s. Bad. Like I remember being in high school and seeing like you know these like like size zero t- completely like stick thin models, and I aspired to be that. Like I thought I was so fat because mm-hmm. I wasn't that, and it's it's absolutely incredible that unraveling of how much I've had to really unlearn about my body, and about you know what I should feel about my body. Yeah, it's just like, like we've been talking about, like, especially with like women or like non men, like it's, it's just like, we are just kind of conditioned to be these like pretty beautiful things, and to look a certain way, and to act a certain way to talk a certain way to eat a certain way. And it's, it's like, we're not like human, we're not seen as like human beings. And that kind of sucks. Yeah, it does. And this is the thing, like these stories exist in the world. They unfortunately have structural reality as well. You know, you can see the patriarchy in our government, in corporations, in the entire way that the world is organized. But then what's harder is if we really want to dismantle it and not just recreate it, and you can certainly see some feminist movements have kind of morphed into their own version of patriarchy in a sense, you know, it's just become as, well, who's at the top of the ladder now? Great, we're in the boardroom. But like we're exactly the same, the system's the same, we're just here, you know, it's very white feminism, then, you know, we're not really getting to the root. So the root is always looking at stories, always looking at the beliefs that hold it up, the ideology. And if we can understand the ideology of a system, then we can start to challenge it in how we be, uh, in how we think, do and act. Yeah. And that's, that's the real embodiment of transformation. That's the, the cheesy line of, you know, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. But it's, it's really what it is. I, I totally agree. Um, and kind of on that same vein, I think it can be hard sometimes to kind of look at all these systems and, you know, look at kind of this thing in front of us and be like, okay, like we need to change this. But it's like so big and so scary sometimes. And I feel like it's it's easy to kind of fall into this like cynical, like mind of thinking of like, oh, well, what's gonna happen if I do this or da, 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 da. So basically, um, how can we kind of combat this like cynicism and kind of be optimistic and 
not maybe not even optimistic how can we you know help ourselves and combat this i guess is a good way to say that so i'd say two things there you know the first is looking at where the cynicism comes from Mm -hmm. is it coming from the fact that you're already burnt out and in which case like that's where you need to start because cynicism is a really common symptom of burnout Mm -hmm. and we feel a bit jaded and a bit like we've lost our spark and that's not the place to really be doing all of the work from that you know if you've reached the point of burnout then it's really about kind of looking at the body taking care of ourselves taking some time for us first you know the kind of cultural work and the the, the stories we want to be telling actually comes a little bit later but if it's also just this kind of response to the world you know i think it's a safety response you know it's a lot easier to just be cynical right than it is to actually have the audacity to to and it takes audacity to think differently and to believe differently and to trust that maybe we can make a difference mm-hmm. and i think it's it's about again this idea of of looking within ourselves and and challenging those ideas of cynicism you know yeah sometimes i have that experience too sometimes i look at the world and i laugh and it's just like what is the point and it's so easy to do that and then i think back okay at the end of my days what do i want my legacy to have been mm-hmm. what do i want my life to have been a statement of you know around us uh you know when we're looking at this kind of you know spiritual and personal work has this beautiful statement he says i want my life to be a statement of love and compassion and where it is not that is where my work lies mm-hmm. and so having a spiritual practice having a belief in something larger than myself that i can come back to I know this is why I'm doing the work, not because I need it to change on the outside, not because I necessarily think it will, but mm. because I know that important to me, intrinsic to who and how I want to be, to my values, to my sense of self, to my legacy, to what I want my life to have been on my last day, this is how I want to act. And so I think that perspective of time can offer us something there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really great point too, because yeah, a lot of these systems may not change, you know, in the next few years. So it's important that we do that for ourselves too. And I, I think too about like me personally, like, you know, I'm in therapy for uh, depression and I talk about that on the show. And it's it takes effort sometimes to get ourselves out of these narratives we tell ourselves or just like, you know, kind of face these systems. Sometimes we really have to do the work to be positive and, you know, to be optimistic because like you said, it takes audacity. And I'd rather do the work and, you know, get out of bed, face capitalism and the patriarchy and all those things than to kind of lay in my bed and let it like take over. Because like you said, I want to have a similar legacy. Like I've, you know, tried all that I can and I believe in this. And I don't know, for me, there's no other way to live. Like I just can't accept these things. So (laughs) So, it's also change is inevitable. Like, and that is a fact. Everything changes all of the time. Like we do actually have choice in how things change. Mm -hmm. The very fact that we think we don't is part of a system that has sold us that lie to make us believe that we're powerless so that we don't challenge it. There's a lot invested in the current power structures in the world as it is. Mm -hmm. And that world as it is will sell us a lot of things to say, no, no, okay, you can't really make change. You know what, when you can make change, it's like every four years at election, like try it then, okay, that one day a year. 
or it's like, well, you know, actually, you know, instead of like really trying to like change the world that we live in, how about like you just like buy this like extra thing over here? Have you tried this? And then like maybe you'll be happy then. So this is, and it's not always conscious. It's not that I believe there's like, you know, some Illuminati out there, like, you know, that's like plotting all of this, but you know, the world as it is does have all of these beliefs, all of these structures, all of these systems designed to keep it exactly as it is. But nothing is ever going to stay exactly as it is because everything changes all of the time. So let's choose again. Let's choose intentionally. Let's come together and reimagine what we want for our communities, for our own lives, for our societies, for our nations. And then let's, you know, see if, what would it actually take to get it there. It's, it's harder work. It does take audacity. It does take a bit of courage. Mm -hmm. It takes a, a bit of trusting our own power, you know, trusting that we are enough. It also takes an acceptance that, you know what, we might fail or we might not see the world that we want to see in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. But still, still there is progress because in every single day, in every way, we remake the world. And that's a fact. So, so let's choose. Let's choose what we want. That is such a lovely note, I think, to end on. That was like beautifully said, Laura, truly. So, of course, guys, we're getting to one of my favorite parts of having a new guest on the show is I'm going to guess Laura's zodiac sign. Uh, Laura, do you know your sun, moon, and rising? I do, yes. Okay, amazing. So, okay, so fun fact about me, love astrology. Um, all of you guys know that. Um, I am sometimes like so good at guessing signs and then sometimes I'm like so bad. So it's kind of like a fun little thing I do just for fun. So we'll see. I, I'm excited. <laughs> okay, glad. I'm so, I'm so glad. So Laura, you're very well-spoken. You're very well-spoken. I think that's just like a fact. And I don't know why you're giving me like earth sign energy. I feel like you feel very grounded. And you feel very like, I don't know, you just seem like you have it together. So that could be your rising sign because like rising signs, you know, are like um, how you perceive other people when you meet them. So I'm wondering if you have an earth sign rising, maybe. I don't know why I'm getting Virgo, Virgo rising. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go Virgo rising. And then... <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm going to try your son. Well, and too, I, oh, one time, uh, not one time, literally yesterday I had someone on my show, or no, this was last week, and I guess their, cha their, their chart and they were all water. So I don't know why, I'm like thinking you could be like water too. I never think of water signs. That's okay. Sh should I wait to the end? Should I wait for like the whole package of all three? Yeah, you can do yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, I don't know. I never think of water signs. And now I'm like, you could you could be a water sign. Loki, I don't know why I'm thinking like cancer for some reason. I don't know. We'll just go with cancer. <laughs> just for fun. Cancer um, for my for my rising? For my for your for your but then I'm like, oh, for your sun. We'll do cancer sun for okay. fun. We'll do Virgo rising. And then moons are so hard. Those, those, those I'd never get right. Um sometimes. I don't know. I think too, I'm going to go with Libra moon because like, you know, justice, fairness, and like thinking things through very thoughtful. I don't know. I get those vibes. We'll do that. We'll do that and we'll see how it goes. So Laura, what are the results? <laughs> I, I like it. You're close. You're close. Oh, really? So yeah, like my son is in Taurus actually. Oh, <gasps> Really? 
but oh my, my moon God. is in Cancer and my rising sign is Virgo. So like, oh, is that your you rising know, sign? Yeah, you got my rising sign. Yeah, good for me. Oh, slay. Oh, interesting. So Taurus sun, Cancer moon. Mm-hmm, correct. How do you, Cancer moon, that's a rough one. That's a rough placement. <laughs> I it is isn't it you know but uh, I I have strong Taurus traits you know I'm I'm quite stubborn I like the glorious i you know I, I'm kind of quintessential Taurus in a in a lot of ways so I, it's very interesting I'm I'm very impressed that oh good oh well great I'm so glad I got someone kind of close this season literally I think almost all the people I've had on season four I've gotten wrong so, you know, that's okay. But it's, you know, just for fun, just for funsies. Exactly. Yeah. Well, of course, before we go, I have to ask you the famous question. Um, Laura, why are you happy to be here? Whether that's in life or right now in this moment, it's really up to you to interpret. Mm. I love this question because I struggled with like really severe depression for such a long time. And it's, it's a beautiful reminder to me of like, why am I happy to be here? And I'm happy to be here because the world is an incredibly beautiful place because it is filled with awe and beauty and wonder and mystery and all of these incredible different cultures and landscapes and people. And what an exciting time to be alive, right? Because as crazy as the world is right now, and it kind of is, like there is so much possibility. There is so much that we can do and there are so many exciting things happening. So I am just excited to be alive because, you know, why not? Let's, let's enjoy the earth. Let's be here. Let's live it. Great. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great answer. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, Laura, so much for coming on the show today. Seriously. Ah, thank you so much. I love this show and I'm so, so honored to be on. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, that's all I got for you guys. I'll see you next time. Bye.